This is another Health Bite brought to you by Healthy North Coast. I talk to parents very frequently because there is something about having a baby which seems to attract helpful advice from family, friends, even little old men will stop you in the shopping centre and tell you how to attach the baby successfully to the breast. Most of that advice seems to come in two major themes. You've got the group of people who think your baby should be controlled, has to go into a routine, be careful not to spoil him, and, and you are the boss. And then there's the other group of people who suggest that your baby, and this is called attachment parenting, your baby needs to be cuddled and, and breastfed constantly and, and demand fed, of course, and he's the boss. Now, why there are these two models is actually goes down to history. The old model was the, the, the idea that babies were born in original sin and they were essentially quite evil and they needed control. But then in the 50s and 60s, people started to realize, especially psychoanalysts and psychologists, that this actually wasn't the case. And so they started to look at babies scientifically. And that's the point. We've had a lot of scientists looking at how to optimally look after babies. And it's interesting, no matter which branch of science they come from, they seem to be saying the same thing. The anthropologists started it. They said the design of babies started about four million years ago when we became, when we became ground-dwelling apes and started to walk around on our hind legs. You see, when you throw the whole weight of the body on the hip joints, you have to build big buttresses of bone on the inside of your, of your pelvis to take the weight of the whole body on two legs instead of four, and that narrows the birth canal. We also became walkers, so we rotated our pelvis posteriorly, so our bum sticks out. So when we walk, we glide. But then we have a birth canal that's narrowed side to side and is a flattened S-bend. Now, it didn't matter four million years ago because the brain size of the little baby was very small, about the size of a chicken's egg. Then along comes Homo sapiens, that's you and me, and suddenly nature's got a problem. How do I get a big brain baby? Because that was the difference about being Homo sapiens. They have big brains. How do you get a big brain baby out through this narrow athletic pelvis? And we started to lose mothers and babies, even when babies were presenting normally by the head. And so obviously evolution is gonna correct for that really quickly. And the way nature corrected, the way evolution selected it, was we have our babies earlier in pregnancy. So quadrupeds can have full-term babies. They can have miniature adults. They can keep their baby inside until they've got 80% of their brain formed. Our babies come out much earlier in pregnancy when they've only got 25% of their brain. So the take-home sentence is, you take home a premi. You don't take home a full-term baby. So what's that where does your common sense takes, tell you about what to do with that baby? Of course, you cuddle him closely. You provide him with a womb-like environment. And in fact, biologists call babies an exterior gestate fetus. And if you look at human milk, it's milk that is given to a baby almost continuously. It has very low protein. It's not a four-alley milk, never was. Four-alley feeding was invented by German anatomists who, did, who looked at the size of the baby's stomach and said this needs to be filled and emptied about six times a day to give the baby his 24-hour caloric intake. 
didn't check with the babies. Because if you look at babies, they'll feed on and off throughout the day, throughout the night, if they are close. And that's the point. Demand feeding is, of course, the only way to go. So the question is, what do you do when your baby cries? It's obvious. The first thing is you feed him. Oh, I fed him an hour ago. Feed him again. We have a continuous contact milk. He may still be hungry. And in fact, ultrasound studies show that when a baby's stomach empties of, of breast milk, it, uh, it takes only 32 minutes to do that. So overfeeding your baby is really, really hard. And in fact, I wouldn't even think about that until you get down the track to four to six months of age. And then you should be sorting out whether your baby is hungry or whether he just needs a cuddle. If he's not hungry and he's still upset, how do you deal with him? Well, he's a preemie. Put him back in the womb. So you replicate life in the womb. What's it like in the womb? Well, first thing, you hold them close. Babies are very snug when they're in the womb. Rounded back, contained limbs. Babies love to be swaddled. And when you swaddle a baby, make sure the swaddling is only the upper limbs. Don't swaddle his legs straight out because that can affect the development of his hip. Babies should have their hips flexed and their knees slightly abducted or splayed, as we say. The second thing about being in the womb is it's really noisy. Everyone's tiptoeing around the baby, completely unnecessary. The noise level inside the womb is the same as an underground train entering a station. It's 85 decibels in there. Why are we tiptoeing? And of course, the main noise that a baby hears within the womb, the sound of the heartbeat. That's why we hold babies on the left. If you look at all the artworks, babies on the left. Why we, why we pat babies at maternal heart rate, lullabies, maternal heart rate. Maybe that's where the word shh comes from. The sound of the, of the blood flow going through the uterine bed. And they like conversation. Put the radio on. They've been listening to dad talking at them through the abdomen for nine months. They don't want that to stop. So give them some background family sounds. The third thing about being in the womb is it tastes great. Babies are gulping amniotic fluid all the time they're in the womb and the amniotic fluid tastes of what mum had about half an hour before. So by the time the baby is born, he is completely familiar with mother's dietary choices and he wants that to continue. That's another beautiful thing about breastfeeding because when you're breastfeeding, you should have the same diet as you have when you were pregnant and you should have as many different kinds of high quality foods as you can get so the baby gets a taste of it. Because we know that baby's taste preferences actually are put in place wired into their brain in their first year and not beyond. So you have a limited amount of time to get your baby to like good food. And the fourth thing about being in the womb is it's really boring. There's nothing happening. On a particularly interesting day, they'll see the umbilical cord. Whoa but most of the time they're just looking at the inside of the womb. So when they come out, suddenly it's all lights and magic and sisters and cousins and aunts and everybody's in their face. Some babies can cope, but most babies can't. And if you get into your face too much and if you've got too many rellos and grandma won't leave him alone and spends hours and hours just staring at her beautiful grandson, it can drive babies up the wall. And obviously it drives them up the wall towards the end of the day. 
That is why at four to six weeks, babies get the colic. That is, they start to scream and they start to, to um, you know, draw their knees up and they look like they're in terrible abdominal pain. We know they're not in pain. What they are is overwhelmed by all this visual input that they can't deal with and they need to be calmed down. Take them into a dark and quiet room and feed them and pat them and feed them and pat them and then wrap them snugly, put them in their cot and bore them to sleep. That's all you have to do. And you only have to keep this up until they're about three months, three months of age. Isn't it strange? It's called three month colic because at three months, three months, four months, it tends to go away and it goes away because the baby learns to shut off all that external stimulation, look away and ignore everyone in the room until he's feeling calm again. And that's how he deals with it, but he can't deal with it in that difficult window between six and 12 weeks. Now, why is it important that you know how to deal with your unsettled baby? It's because of what the neurobiologists tell us. Now, I mentioned earlier that babies have only got 25% of their brain formed. What the neurobiologists tell us is that that 25% is all of the brain cells. All 100 billion of them are sitting inside the skull. What the other 75% is are the connections. Aha! How you connect your brain is of course genetically determined. That's your potential. But how you actually connect your brain a lot depends on how you are parented, how you are loved and looked after and made feel secure in your first year. We have lots of information about that. And now we even have the imaging because neurobiologists have looked at imaging of the, ba the baby's brain. The baby's brain is in three parts. All primate brains are in three parts. You've got the basic brain that looks after your basic functioning, your appetite and your blood pressure, all that sort of stuff. The next part is called the midbrain or the limbic system and that scans for threat and it has big subconscious emotions, fear, rage, separation anxiety, love, joy and on top of that we have the neocortex or the frontal lobes. They're big in primates and they're where our intelligence and our personality and our ability to plan and, and use our experience, that's where it comes from. Now, here's the crunch. Babies have no neocortex online at all. They're just limbic system babies. So they've got fear, rage, separation, anxiety, joy, love. Isn't that just like a baby? Now, over the first year, they wire up the nearest part of their neocortex and the nearest part is called the prefrontal gyrus and the function of the prefrontal gyrus is the management of the emotions from the midbrain and babies learn from their parents and their carers how to deal with those explosions of stress because when the midbrain perceives a threat it puts in place a stress reaction they pour out cortisol a hormone that makes the baby makes everyone say whatever you're doing stop and deal with this problem and deal with it now and everything else goes out of your mind you know the freeze flight or fright reaction now when babies cry and they're in distress, 
and you pick them up and they're full of cortisol and you cuddle them and calm them down their cortisol comes into a comfortable zone and the baby says that's the way I'm meant to feel and he wires up his prefrontal cortex accordingly and it's all done and dusted by the age of one year so if he's got lots of cuddles and lots of security he wires up lots of receptors which mop up cortisol in his prefrontal gyrus so it's all in his hardware so by the end of the first year, babies have a feeling of, of security or they don't. They have a feeling of whether they're valued or they don't. And so all of this basic stuff which babies need to wire up happens in the first year. And on top of that comes all of the other functions, the mathematics and the social ability to deal with social groups and the executive functions, all that stuff. It's all based on what we called emotional intelligence and that's in the baby's first year. I think I'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening. Check out healthynorthcoast.org.au for up-to-date and reliable health information in northern New South Wales.